They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. Father, I just thank you again for your word, for this opportunity we have to worship in it and through it. Um, Father, I'd help uh, ask for help this morning as we understand what's taking place here, uh, that we would recognize the kind of beggars that we need to be and uh, what you do in us and through us because of that. So, Father, thank you again for the immense mercy and grace you give to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this message, In the Grip of Fear. In the grip of fear. Because fear is not an option. It's a reality. You experience it. I experience it. We all experience it. The question becomes is, whose grip are you in? And if you've been noticing through this whole chapter of Mark, and even going back up into chapter 4 of why we end up here, the fact that the fear began in the boat. There's a storm, if you remember, in chapter 4. Jesus with his disciples, they're trying to get away from all the teaching. They're exhausted, and they're coming over to rest where they don't find any. And in the middle of that, there's the storm that happens to come along, and the disciples are afraid. How do we know? In chapter 4, verse 38, they wake him up and ask him this question. Don't you care that we are perishing? That's fear, is it not? Especially with fishermen who had seen this kind of activity before and would have probably gone, yeah, it's not a good time to go out because they can read the weather, read all that stuff, but they got caught in this one. What's the fear that they were facing? Certain death. On a huge lake, in between the mountains. I mean, if you've ever, it's so beautiful. I've not been on a lake this big. It's like, you know, eight to ten miles square. Um, but in the mountains, and it's like this funnel, and just, it, it just comes up all of a sudden in the mountains. They were afraid of dying. What's Jesus' response? It's an amazing response that he has to them, to his disciples. <laughs> With another question, why are you afraid? Well, why do you think, right? We're dying. Don't you see what's going on in my life? Isn't that how we respond a lot of times? And then he couples with another question, in essence. Where is your faith? See, fear and faith are therefore linked together. You can't separate them. It's like salt and pepper. They go together. They have to go together. Chapter 5, when you, if you've been going through this, and as we've been going through this, there is a whole lot of fear going on. How do we know that? Because there's a whole lot of begging going on. You see it in three different categories, verse 12 and verse 10, the demons are begging Jesus. Why are they begging? And verse 7 gives you the answer. They're, they're begging because they're afraid of torment. They understand perfectly who Jesus is. They, under, they have more clarity than any human around them at this moment as Jesus is doing his ministry. They understand exactly who he is. They understand exactly their relationship to him and what's going to happen. They know it inside and out, and they are afraid. 1 John 4 says this, verse 18, perfect love casts out fear. You've heard this, right? The one who has been perfected, 
No longer fears because fear has to do with punishment. That's what they understood. There is no hope for love for them between their relationship with God and the demonic. There's nothing at all but judgment. So all they have left is fear of torment, fear of what's to come, fear of how awful that will be. Therefore, according to John, 1 John 4, fear and love are also linked together. And the demons have no method of being perfected in love. You see it with the crowd, the people that came to see what, like, a, you know, an accident or a train wreck or something. And in, in my little town, those things happen, or, or there was this big fire. The, the foundry there caught on fire, and there's like, you know, eight different fire departments coming. And as a kid, I was three blocks away, and this, this I mean, it glowed all night long. This was huge fire. And it becomes a spectacle, right? That's the point. And everybody kind of, what's going on? What's happening? And you want to know, that's what's going on here. They came to see what had happened. The story that they were told, is it true? So they came out from their homes, from the countryside. And when they confirmed what had actually happened, they begged Jesus out of fear to leave. Then in verse 18, the one man. It's always interesting to me. It's, you want success and crowds and all these things, and then what do you end up with all throughout Scripture? It's just a, just a few, right? The gate is small. The road is narrow that leads to eternal life. And few that are that find it. And you have this one man in verse 18 who's begging Jesus, I want to go with you. You get a little bigger understanding of what's going through his mind, what Jesus did for him, and how we understand that, the mercy that he gave from Luke chapter 12, Jesus is discoursing with his disciples in verse 4, and he says, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you to whom you fear, fear him who after he is killed has the authority not only in the body, but to cast you in hell, fear him. Therefore, fear is linked to faith, fear is linked to love, fear is linked to friendship with Christ. So it's not a matter of whether you're going to fear or not, you will fear, but the question becomes, who do you fear? And how do you know you're fearing the right one? The right one? How do you know when that happens? Again, the demons were full of understanding, and they're in a class all by themselves, so we'll kind of leave them aside for now. James 2 is always a a good understanding of their relationship. They believe God. They know Him in, again, all of their clarity and understanding of the, the idea of who God was because they were worshiping at what time and all of that. And James 19 says, the demons know God and their response is they shudder. That's all they have left is this terror, this immense fear. And so that's not our category, so we don't have to address that, but we will address the other two. Because we are the ones who need the understanding. You and I, the wisdom that comes from this. Because fear is directly linked to your faith. How strong it is. How mature it is. They're inseparable. And so from our text this morning, two types of beggars. One asks Jesus to leave. One asks him to stay. Or to put it, more maybe to in a form of a question, do you fear God enough to ask Jesus to leave or to stay? Do you welcome him and is he like a friend or is he more of an enemy to you? 
One leads to life and freedom. The other leads to slavery and death. One is the fear of man. One is the fear of God. And those are the two classifications. And the question comes in, whose grip are you in? The fear of man or the fear of God? And I'm not looking to you as either or. Just <laughs> but there's only two categories. If you fear God, you will not fear man. If you fear man, you will not fear God. So again, the question's not about whom. The point that you will fear, but who will you fear? It goes back really directly to what we've been talking to, but the question we've been asking, by what standard are you doing life? What standard are you using to, to direct your life? Is it the Word of God? Is it God's standard? Or is it the one that you've created? We do those things because of whom we fear. This is foundational to our faith. It's foundation to our theology about who God is. And one little caveat, we're not talking about fear of fight or flight when, when something happens. So when something bad happens to you and you're in that experience, like when I rolled my car, it was immediate tension and you feel your muscles. And then when it's all done, you're like, Ugh, what happened? I'm, I'm still kind of bitter about, that was a nice car. <laughs> And so you, it, we're not talking that. We're talking something completely different. We're talking about all the what-ifs that you're going to face in life in tomorrow's that you have very little control over, if control at all. It's the call from the doctor that the test results that you don't want to hear. It's the wonder of if and will, it, you know, I'm put in for the promotion, will I, will I get the promotion? Will she say yes if I ask her to marry me? It's, it's those things. It's the life things that you and I struggle with. All those decisions that we don't know typically the outcome. We know what we want to have happen, but we truly don't know. Daniel's three friends are a really good example of this concept of fear of God more than man. In other, in other words, the government, the king at the time. They knew God had the power to save them, but they didn't know the outcome. The book of Daniel wasn't written yet for them. <laughs> they didn't have any place to go to, in other words. They were living it, but they were convicted. If you go back to Daniel chapter 1 and you read the dialogue that they, they and I'm, I always picture in my mind, as they're being hauled off into slavery after they've been conquered and the, the winning uh, army is taking the choice people to serve in their kingdom. They're having this conversation that when we get there, we are going to honor God and honor the law of God no matter what happens. And that was their determination. They stood fast in the fear of the Lord no matter the outcome. And this was the outcome. Bow down or be thrown into the fire. And he, they said, we're not bowing down to you or to any image because there is only one true God. I don't care what lie you want to promote in life or what you want to do. You cannot make me do that and I will honor him. To which the man does everything he can and threatens, in this case, with life. That's the fear of man. So you can't escape fear. The only thing you can do is do what God is calling you to do. In other words, what, what is God's will for my life? And it's to turn to Him. To run, in other words, to the right kind of fear. So let's look at two of those. First is the fear of man. 
The crowd was told what was happened, what had happened. They got this report and they came to confirm the story. They see pigs floating. They see the demon-possessed man that they saw anew and had an encounter with sitting and clothed in his right mind. He saved the mercy of God has come to him. They look at the pigs. They look at him and they tell Jesus, go away. Why? Why this response of all things? Why would you respond in fear? I'll give you what I think maybe are a couple of reasons why. Could it be that the crowd asked the same question the disciples did when they were on the water? Who is it that the winds and obey and the waves obey him? Who, who is it that can control a demon? We tried all this stuff, but he's actually done it. See, the fear of man blinds you to the grace and mercy of God, so all you see is power. And if he can do that to this man, what on earth do you think he could do to us? So go away. I don't want to find out. I don't want to know. And they miss the very thing that can save them. When all you recognize is the power and somehow formulating this picture of who God is, is in your mind, that he's just sitting up there just waiting to throw lightning bolts or, or you know, as soon as I screw up and mess up, he's just there to pound me. If that's your impact of God, then yeah, why, why would you want him around? That's an abnormal reaction due to unbelief. Here's another thought. They could have been Jews or part Jewish. Imagine that, Jewish pig farmers. <laughs> A contradiction in terms as far as the Jewish law and the ceremonial laws that they had to follow as Jews at that time. And now they stand convicted. Oh, maybe not that they would have eaten it because they'd be good Jews. It's just good business to provide meat to the Gentiles. Instead of living life faithfully in the laws that God had prescribed to them, they're finding a way around it. We don't do this. Just like gambling is just good business. Just like abortion is good business. Just like pushing drugs are good business. Selling of sex and sex slavery and lying and cheating and all the things that the government does, inflation, whatever you want to call it, is just good business just for a few. And they cared more about pigs than they did for their own kind. They couldn't unsee what they saw. They couldn't unhear what they heard. Could it be they were so convicted, but they desired all of their comforts more? The self-preservation of their earthly empires of having 2,000 pigs, that's a fair amount. I mean, even today, that's a big... That's a fair amount of money, and it's just gone. It's a, it's a total loss. Jesus, don't ask me to change. You ask too much. I'm comfortable. I like the things I have. I like where I'm at. I like my reputation. I like what people think of me. I've liked what I have because I've worked so hard to get it. Don't ask me to give it away. Don't stir things up. You don't seem to understand, Jesus. We have this system and we like our system because it brings comfort to us. We like our preachers telling us the things we want to hear. They tickle our ears. They keep us safe. They tell us what's expected what's uh, uh, expectable or um, acceptable to say and to think. 
They tell us when to go out, when we can stay in. They tell us what to wear, when to wear it, and for how long. And if you speak up and say or do or think the wrong things, according to them, there'll be consequences. You could be canceled. You could lose your job. You could lose your reputation. You could lose your things, your stuff, your family, your friends, your pigs could all be gone. Don't ask that. You're asking too much. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's either pigs or Christ. Forgive, like we talked about last, 70 times 7. Are you kidding me? No, that's, that's just too big an ask. Can't do it. Go away. Jesus, you don't know what this man has done all these years. We tried to control. We tried to do everything we knew how to do. We, we did everything, and, and he just he hurt so many people. How We just, nope, you're too much to ask. Go away. See, that's the fear of man. The fear of man is faithlessness towards God, a love of himself and the things of this world, and he is no friend of God. That's the crowd. The irony to me is we all face those same fears, don't we? We have each built, at some level, monasteries to keep the world out or to try and they turn into monasteries of anxiety, of depression, of worry, or what people think, or do I measure up enough, am I big enough, smart enough, capable enough, whatever those things are, and then it just becomes a prison, and you become its slave. And as much as you try to hold on as tight as you can to the things of this world, to, to run away from whatever fear presses into your life, it never just goes away. You just run back into it in your own life. That's the crowd. That's living in the fear of man and what you think of this world and the pressure that comes to conform to it. That's what happens when you stay on the beach of fear of your life and beg Jesus to go away and you push him away. How afraid do you have to be to beg Jesus to stay with him? The crowd didn't have enough fear. And they face the wrong direction. So consumed with the fear of man. Just a couple of side notes as far as the crowd goes. All the things that Jesus has done and what this, the truth of what happened in this point of his ministry, miracles are never enough to prove who Jesus is or compel someone to faith. They're never enough. Only fear is. It's not the dog and pony show. Jesus rolls out because that's what he does in John chapter 6. Read John chapter 6. Thousands of people, more food. Yes, Jesus is doing this wonderful thing. And by the end, he's asking his, his 12 disciples, are you guys going to leave too? See, miracles are never enough. The, the grandiose things are never enough because you're always going to want more, just like you see in Scripture with, throughout Jesus' ministry. Here's another one. Since God has created men and women unique and different, we deal with fear differently. We handle it differently. And in general, as a woman, you express fear relationally. I get asked this question from time to time, but not so much anymore because I've been married 37 years now. So, do you like how this looks on me? <laughs> 
see all the guys like, oh, that's a, that's a, nope, can't go there. But ladies, if you, another lady asks you that, what is, what's your biggest concern? In part. And this is how the fear works out. You don't want to say anything that's going to offend. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> or, you know, especially in high school, you get three or four girlfriends, five girlfriends, you know, they'll all say, oh, it's great, because that's where you really feel the pressure, remember, all you students? But at least two or three of you go, man, that looks awful on her. But you're not going to say it. Why? Because <laughs> you don't want to hurt the relationship. Guys, we do it different. In general, your fear that comes is the fear of failure, fear of not measuring up, fear of taking the last shot. Because what if I miss? I'll feel lesser. Striking out when the bases are loaded, whatever analogy you want to use. The reason I believe the church feels pressure, you and I, in the culture and current time we live in, in this nation, it's that we have not cultivated the fear of God, and so we become less bold, less of having fortitude and the convictions to stand on what God's word says, that this is true and this is false. This is the truth, this is the lie, there it is. Because we're afraid of man and what they think, what they might do, what I might lose. So how do you get there? How do you cultivate the fear of God? Proverbs 1.7 is always a good place to start. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What's the wisdom and instruction? What is that? It's the knowledge of God. That's the beginning. That's basic theology. That's the starting point of Christianity. That's the starting point of your faith. Uh, it's, the, it's the kindergarten class of faith, if you will. That's where we all begin. The point is, you can't get fear out of your life. You have to cultivate the right kind of fear. And that's the fear of the Lord, creator of the universe, the God who saves, the one who will call you his friend. That's the paradox of Scripture when you think of fear. That's not what we think of. We think to run the other way, get away as far as you can. We pull an atom and we run away from God and try to hide. That's what this man understood. He understood his encounter with Jesus. He understood who he was. And he was willing to throw his life in with Christ's and had no expectation of the outcome. Wherever you go, I will go. We sing songs like, we sing worship songs. I'll go where you want me to go. I mean, that's an older hymn. Really? Truly? Well, that's the fear of God. Consider, consider that man's life if this was not true. What would be going through your mind after Jesus did what he did and demons are gone and you suffered, you still have the scars on your body after you've been cutting yourself and all the chains, the black and blues, you know, dislocated fingers, I don't know, but we know at least he cut himself a lot. He was a cutter and he broke chains and probably had black and blue arms, black and blue feet. He's naked now he's clothed, he's in his right mind. If that wasn't true, what would you be thinking? i tell you what I'd be thinking. Are the demons coming back? <laughs> if, if, this, if this isn't who, if you're not who you say, you, are they going to come back? That would scare me to death, wouldn't it? Is this going to happen again? 
And you go through life walking on eggshells because you're always looking behind you, never forward in the future of what God would have. You're always worried about the past. Listen, if you have the fear of God in your life, you won't fear life itself. You won't fear death. You won't fear the future. There is no reason for you to fear anything, anybody or anything can whip up for you in culture, in this world. And there's a lot of things that we can be afraid of. Jesus said, hey, there's going to be wars, rumors and wars, but that's not the end. That's just the birth pains. Don't worry, but that's going to happen. All through Scripture, we read through. I mean, think of Elijah when he's going to the one widow there's a famine for three, or famine. There's a drought for three years. Do you know what happens to those people's farms and businesses after three years of no water? Can you imagine that? He shows up to one widow and feeds her, takes care of her out of how many? Can you imagine the suffering that took place in Israel that because God is judging them? Sometimes we have that theology that. Well, if God does, if I'm doing good things, God blesses me, we're good. But the moment something hard comes, the moment three years of drought comes in my life, where is he? What's happening? What's going on? Why is this happening to me? And that covers a whole lot of life, doesn't it? See, when we come to the thought of the fear of God and then attach our life to that, my life should be like, and then you fill in the blank, don't you? You have expectations. And what are those expectations? When the blank is left empty, what do you put in the blank? Chances are it has nothing to do with pain or suffering, does it? <laughs> it's going to be good. I don't want to do that. I want all the good things to happen in my life. And that's typically what we put. And we have this expectation in our life. God, I'm doing this. This should happen. But that's not true. Job's a really good example of that not being true. How many, sadly, how many Christians believe and think and have that theology? It's like being in the boat, being tossed back and forth, to and fro, trying to make sense of what's going on because you don't fear God. And you get jerked around like being on the end of a rope. We used to play in the winter. Um, my dad would flood our backyard so we could play hockey and skate and stuff. And I don't know if you've done this before, but we used to play a lot of crack the whip. And so that's where you string everybody up and you're skating. And man, the, if you get more than 10 or 12 people, that guy at the end's in trouble. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was that guy sometimes. And you just get thrashed around. That's the fear of man. You're up, you're down, you're all over. You can't make sense of anything. And the fear of God in your life brings this consistency all through your life. Even though you will face the ups and downs of life. What does this gift of fear that God wants to give you do? Let me give you a few things. Here's what the fear of God does. Here's what these things that are coupled together. You can't have one without the other. Fear and joy go together. Matthew 28, 8. It's the day Jesus is resurrected. The women are coming to the tomb. They have the conversation with the angel. And now they're going. And it says they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and what? Great joy. 
this amazing thing happened and, and something, someone, they were dead and we saw Lazarus, but this is different. And now there's this great fear, but there's also this great joy because something good has happened. Fear and mercy, number two, Luke 1, 50. And his mercy, just like you saw in Mark chapter 5, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See the consistency? Never changes. His mercy, we'll get to that in a, next week, but the mercy that God gives you, it only comes to you because you fear the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, you don't have his mercy. In other words, there's no salvation for you. Number three, there's fear and amazement, fear and glory. Luke chapter 5, verse 26 And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe. Your version may say reverence, but it's awe, reverence, fear. That's the idea. Saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Fear of the Lord brings amazement and glory to your life. It honors Him and brings Him glory. But you and I have to be able to participate in that too. We get to see the amazement that God is doing in my life. That's this idea we talked about before of being thankful in Romans chapter 1. The reason the world doesn't is because they're ungrateful. Remember, no gungus mooing, <laughs> the Greek word. Have you used that on your kids yet? <laughs> no complaining, no grumbling. There is amazement and there is glory. Number four, fear and peace come together. Fear, edification, comfort, all are linked. Acts 9 verse 31, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amazing thing happens when you're directed in the, in the Lord's direction, when you face Him and, and, and see the face of God and the fear of the Lord, that peace comes. Again, it makes no sense to people in the world. How can you be and have this peace over you when your life, and when they know your life, where you live, work, and play, you're, they, they understand what's been going on in your life, and yet you are so peaceful. There's comfort. You're being encouraged. You're being edified, in other words, being built up. Why? Because you understand the fear of the Lord in your life. He's got it. He is in control because I'm not. And when I try to be, it shows up. Number four, or number five, rather, fear and holiness 2 Corinthians 7.1, Paul has been writing to this church. He's listed in chapters 6 and before where he gets to this point. He says, since we have these promises, the ones he's referring to before this, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and the spirit bringing holiness to completion. He's talking about your sanctification, your growing up and looking like Christ, your maturity in Him. How? In the fear of God. That's how maturity in Christ comes. Because it drives you to hate your sin, every defilement of the body, every defilement of the spirit, the mind, your thought life, your physical life, all of it. You hate the sin that so easily entangles you and it drives you from it because you fear Him more. It brings you to holiness and completion. I like that because I like to finish things. Number six, fear and work or service. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
So now, not only in my presence, much more in my absence. Remember, he's in prison. He says this to him, work out your fear, or work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for this is God's work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The work that you do, the service that you do, you're going to work this out because you fear him more. You love him more, in other words. The mercy and grace that he's given you, bestowed on you, it's the fear that you have for him to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, just the caveat, this isn't you do these things and get saved. You're already saved. This is the result of your being saved. This is the result of the mercy God is giving you. So now you're working. He's equipped you in certain gifts and abilities and, and thoughts in mind to serve the kingdom, to serve one another. Work it out for your salvation. Number seven, fear and submission. Fear and submission, Ephesians 5.21. This is the text where husbands and wives, you know, wives submit to you, how, you know, how to love one another as husbands and wives. And then this is stuck right in there, which we pass over. Submit to one another out of reverence or fear for Christ. The deference that you have for one another as a body, whether it's you as a husband or wife, for us as a church body, it's the submission to one another. It's like, oh, I love you. And then, oh, I love you more. Oh, no, I love you more. <laughs> or you're going through the door. No, you first. No, you first. It's that. And you submit to one another, but some, at, some, at some point, somebody has to go through the door. <laughs> but you're willing to not be first, you're willing not to be, hey, look at me, look at me, look what I can do, look how good I am. That's, that's not it. That's the fear of man in your life. That's the insecurity that you and I get to or have, that you want to be noticed or appreciated, especially as men, to measure up to whatever standard that is stuck in your head instead of the fear of God. And so you can be second or third or last <laughs> to be great in the kingdom of God, can't you? Don't have to be first. Number eight, fear and worship are also together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 says, At that time his voice, meaning the voice of God, shook the earth. But now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made. He's talking about creation. All the things that you see, all the things that we understand in our lives. He's doing that in order that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Can be seen, in other words. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, offer to God acceptable worship with what? Reverence and awe. See, when you're understanding the fear of the Lord, when you face His direction and turn away from the fear of man, worship happens as it should. That's the natural response, not the abnormal response that the crowd had and pushing Him away. That's how you know you're fearing man over God. See, guilty people are fearful people. They're slaves to their own sin and imaginations. But forgiven people are free they are, in fact, again, friends of God. That's what Jesus called them. My friends, don't fear. Paul goes on and tells Timothy, as, he's about to, as Paul's about to end 
his ministry and his life will be taken and passing this on to Timothy, his apprentice. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Sneer versions may say of a sound mind. Who in this chapter, in this section has the sound mind? Who is actually in their right mind? It's the man that had the demon. The other people, they're not in their right mind. Because if they were, they would recognize who Jesus was. They wouldn't be concerned about their prophets. They wouldn't be concerned about what people think. They wouldn't be concerned about anything else other than, how I want to be with you. How do I get in the boat with you? That's their only concern. That's the fear of God, and it liberates you from the fear of man. And your response when you know you understand this is you, and I've shared this before, but you hold out your life and hold on as tight as you possibly can just like this. And you offer it to the Lord and he's the one that comes in and controls it. Because if you try to do this and get everything you can like the crowd, you're going to end up with broken wrists and fingers because either way, you're going to fear. It's not a question of that you're not fearing, it's whose grip are you in? And you and I are admonished to hold on to life lightly like this and be blessed by God and fear Him. See, to get rid of anxiety, depression, worry, all those what-ifs that you think about in the future or that potentially paralyze you, the fear of God is the key that unlocks that door to let, out, let you out of the room of your mind that you've created and it sets you free. If not, you could stay there your whole life. Did you know that? Hebrews 2.15 affirms that. Deliver all those who, through, though through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. These are people who are so afraid of what's coming that they become slaves for a lifetime. And they'll manage, they'll cope, they'll do all those things to try to get through life, but to what end? For what purpose? If you are fearful, if you're anxious, if you're worried, you need to confront the issue, which is not what you think it is. The issue is you don't fear God like you should and you've created or allowed the fear of man to creep into your life. Start cultivating the fear of God. The saddest piece of this whole story that Mark relates to, to me is that Jesus granted their request. He got in the boat and left. And we have no record of him ever going back. He will return one day. He will bring judgment on all those who fear man. But he'll bring his reward to those who fear him. Whose grip are you in this morning? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of fear, the godly gift. Not the kind that gets twisted and filled with sin and distortion. But a fear that sets us free. A fear that drives us to our knees and to the cross to seek mercy. The fear that 
helps us realize that we come to the end of ourselves and we empty ourselves of all things. Throwing ourselves in the boat with you, wanting to go, wanting to be with you, wanting to see what you'll do in our life. And Father, there are so many stories of testimonies throughout history when the church began. We like to think of those things as all the good things in life as we understand them. But all the good things in life, like Stephen, ended up with just one message of the gospel before he was martyred. And for us to understand those good things like that, that glorify you with our life and when you call us to be home with you, we can be assured of no fear. No fear of what's coming for those who fear you. No fear of death. No fear in judgment. Only welcome friend. Father, I pray and beg you this morning if there's someone here who is still stuck and caught in the fear of man, release them like you did this man. Heal them. Bring salvation to their heart and mind, their understanding of who you are, to live in freedom for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.